Hey everybody, this is Brad Bruce and I'm here with Jace Marsiglia and you are listening to the 5195 podcast. Back at it. Back yeah. at it. How you been? Good. Yeah. Good. Still kind of riding the high from uh, the last trip out here. That was pretty awesome. I don't know how this will play to the listeners. At this point, have we decided how we're going to stagger the shows? No. Because what they don't know, and they'll find out right now, is that between last episode and this episode, at least two months have gone by. That's a long time, but also gave us a lot of shit to talk about now. Definitely. So we've been busy, and in a really cool, weird, back-to-the-future kind of way for you guys, it's only been a week. I knew you were going to bring it. Had to. I, I knew it. But I just I think that's neat. Like We had a big pause before I flew back. That last trip was incredibly productive. Uh, the last two months, a lot's happened, and uh, kind of excited to bring you guys in on some of the some of the shite we've been up to. Yeah, we've definitely yeah. been busy. I think now that we're you know starting a production. Yes. I think for those in the audience that are aspiring filmmakers, I think it would be kind of cool to give some pointers or tips as to what goes into yeah making a film on a low no budget mm-hmm because it's it's hard it's, yeah no we're we're not in a position to be like well Warner Brothers just dropped a million bucks in our lap no this is this is trench filmmaking and uh I don't know about you we kind of I kind of dig it that way it makes you more creative the freedom I think yes. I, th- I think the, it forces you to be more creative out of necessity. It does. And, you know, being lucky enough to have been on bigger sets mm-hmm. and seeing how they work, it's cool. Sure. But the freedom to be able to just create something and then shoot it without anyone really saying mm-hmm. no. No, that's the beauty of indie filmmaking. That's, and that's the true art, yes. in my opinion, of filmmaking. Just unrestrained. Yeah. So I think having said all that, ground floor would be concept. Yeah. You know, where does an idea come for a film? You know, like I say, since we're going into production on The Vinyl Redemption, Mm -hmm. it started as a short film. For myself, I was hanging out at my friend's record store. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about Robert Johnson. Okay. He just pitched this idea to me. Uh, Not even so much a pitch of an idea, but he just said, like, wouldn't it be crazy if this happened where this guy sold his soul and the the devil put his soul in a record? Okay. You know, and I was like, and that's kind of all that he gave me. But the guy is still alive. Yeah, well, it's 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 essentially, he's alive. So, like, this wasn't one of those deals where the devil has come to collect once you're dead. No, no, no. See, because it was what I had, to, and this is getting into the concept. So, yeah. after I heard that, mm-hmm. I went home and I just started, like, fleshing it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking, okay, so, so I know I have one guy who sold his soul yeah. to become famous. Yep. And then I started trying to humanize him, you know, give him real personality, real, you know, 
ticks and traits and you know certain you know, and i i pick from myself or close friends when i'm developing a character mm-hmm. instead of just here's this character i'm going to try to create him it's mm-hmm. it's easier to write taking personality traits from friends or family or myself mm-hmm. because it's so real and i i'm used to it that's the thing you everyone's got their own unique whatever mm-hmm. whether it's a uh, way of speaking whether it's a weird tick or a habit or a style that way nobody's you know it's not just a parade of similar drones of 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 you essentially because every character we write is us to a degree and um if everyone had the same voice everyone was it would just it would be like a droning you know what i mean it's right you can't do that and i've read scripts like that where everybody sounds the same everybody talks inhumanly in a way robotic if you will and it just feels very factory like you know you immediately picture the same toy coming off the line over and over and over whereas if you pull from real life the people around you the people you've met it could be people you fucking hate maybe there was a boss that treated you like shit or you know everyone's got that thing and if you can put that thing into your character Everyone will have a different voice and a different vibe, and that's what you want. Because otherwise, yeah, it's it's just it's a flat line. You know, it's just one droning sound, even though it's on the page. Right. Hard to explain. But it, it is, especially if you're not creating this stuff. Right. But easy to know when you see it. Yeah. What's, what's the old saying about? Is it porn? I I don't I don't. <laughs> What, there's a saying about porn, like, I forget where it came from. I think it's from the 70s or 80s where I may not know what it is, but I'll know it when I see it. That's I, from porn? I think so. I think it's what someone said about porn. <laughs> I know it when I see it. Okay. I, I had no idea. I had no... Are you looking it up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm looking here. Ooh, here we go. United States Supreme Court Justice... Potter Stewart, in uh, describing the threshold test for obscenity in the uh, Jacob Bellis verso. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I felt the mustache grow. (laughs) I forgot that was a preset, so I'm like, you know what? Come on. You guys have no idea. I came in here freshly shaved, and as soon as he played that, I grew a mustache chest hair and a gold chain came out of nowhere all on your dick (laughs) all of it okay Uh, please so the (laughs) phrase was used in 1964 by the u.s supreme court justice potter stewart to describe his threshold test for obscenity in the jacob ellis versus ohio case it explains the material issue in the case was not obscene under the roth test Stewart wrote, I shall not today attempt further to define the kinds of material I understand to be embraced within the shorthand description of hardcore pornography. And perhaps I could never succeed in intelligibly doing so, but I know it when I see it. And the motion picture involved in this case is not that. So it was a case involving porn where, in my opinion, up to a point, he hadn't watched it, but I'd know it if I saw it. You understand? You know, I think you should start writing porn. <laughs> oh, my porn would be the shit. Oh, We're fucking sidetracking bad. <laughs> no, um, that's that's concept. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
we're still we're still in the realm of concept. Um, no, okay, so I I, I get it. So but, you but know yes. it when you see it. <laughs> you know it when you see it. If you're reading a script and it just feel the biggest the the, the biggest takeaway is if you're halfway through a script or even a book and you your characters you don't know who's talking to who like you're like everyone just once you once you lose sight of who your characters are someone didn't distinguish them properly and that is a huge mistake in writing that many 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 people do because they can't find a unique trait to put to everybody yeah that's that's one thing that i've i've noticed in a lot of work that people have passed to me to Hey, what, give me, let me get your opinion on this. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know who anyone was. I know there's different names, but all this dialogue sounds like it's coming from the same guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I've gotten scripts where they almost overdo the, the other side of that, where it's like, you know, you know what I mean, Jace? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, Brad. Oh, okay, Jace. Cool. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, Brad. Okay, oh, Jace. Oh, man. Just just hammering home the point that these are two separate individuals because they keep saying each other. Yeah. Things. And the thing is, you know what? You got to learn. You like, do. And as long as you keyword learn. Yes. Like what I like to do, and I'm pretty sure you as well, When and that's what I did with this script, is I went home. I fleshed this whole thing out. I added different characters. I wrote it. Mm-hmm. And then I put it away for a week. That's good advice. That's what you should do. Because you, you'd be surprised what you notice when you've divorced yourself from the yeah. material. Because r- right then and there, you're in the moment. Yes. And everything that you've written down, you think is fantastic. Well, even we've, we've talked about this podcast where we've gone back to listen to older episodes. I don't remember what we talked about because we just we were, we were recording. We were riffing. But then you go back and listen to it a week or two later and you're like, I don't even remember this conversation. Or, or you said something that you were like, oh, man, did I say that? that you know. And it's funny just how much you don't retain in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, even in retrospect, it's just, it's gone. It's in the ether. Yeah. And uh, writing is exactly the same way. And that was that was kind of writing 101. Part of that book I mentioned in the early episodes that I got where he, he the author said, put it in a drawer. And I think he, I want to say he said, like, give it a month. Okay. He gave like a big, a bigger stretch. I've done that with every script I've written and I always come back to it and I'm like, oh, what was I thinking here? Or this is kind of dumb. Or you get to a point where you're like, the story feels a little soggy here. I need to pick it up. Or you notice the things that you don't notice in the moment. Right. And <clears throat> and let me ask you a question. Just as a, just curious. Mm-hmm. When you do put it down and you go back to it later, mm-hmm. are you coming from a place of being hypercritical or is it just completely fresh and open? Here's what I do. I call it my mystery science theater test. I'll go back to a script that I haven't read in a, in a hot minute. And when, when you take those breaks, try to write something else. Just keep, just keep the mill, you know, the mill going. Definitely. But when you come back to that one that you set aside, uh, what I do, I go into it like, I'm watching a movie for the first time and I naturally, usually I do it with buddies and we got a few drinks or whatever. I'll riff on a movie. I'll just make fun of it. You know, if it's, if it's not very good, if I can riff on my work, whatever it is I'm riffing on has got to go. Okay. Period. Because if I can make fun of it, anybody can. 
You know, if I find the holes in the Swiss cheese, everybody else is going to see it too. So I do, I don't know if it's hypercritical, but I come at it the same way I would a movie that's losing my attention. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And unless, if it's good and I, and I was kicking some ass, I'll keep rolling with it. And I'm like, yeah, this was pretty fucking good. This is, this is good shit. But if I, if I stumble into something where I'm like, you idiot, why did <laughs> you, you went into that room? Why would anyone in their right mind go into that room? You know, that's when I got to, I got to stand back a little bit and go, okay, I either need a better reason to get them into this room or the whole scene has to go. Right. Because it makes no sense and it's stupid. So you'd be surprised how critical you are when you're divorced from the material, like I said, because it feels like someone else wrote it. And technically it, it was. You were Absolutely. Some, you were someone else a month ago. Who knows what was going on in your head? Who knows what you were dealing with at the time or what you put? Because everything you deal with as a person, it comes out in the work subliminally, mm-hmm. you know, subconsciously, whatever. So, yeah, you could have written something in a bad mood a month ago. And when you come back to it, you're like, damn, this is kind of harsh. I'm not really enjoying this. Or you were in a really chipper good mood and you're like, what the fuck is this cheesy shit? You know, you'd be surprised. That's how I approach it. I'll come back to it after a while. And I do my mystery science theater test where I'm like, if I can make fun of this, it's not good. I, I shouldn't be able to riff my own material. Now, to circle back to personality, I know a lot of writers tell you not to do this. A lot of producers too, but I, I do it. You, you just, you do what works. I will cast in quotes, my entire movie. I'll set up characters for whatever I need them to be. They're blank faces. They're blank slates. Okay. I've got this, 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 and this person. And then when you go back and you start putting meat on the bones, I will cast it with actual celebrities or people I admire or want to work with. And what's funny is If you're a real fan of someone, let's say I have a character that's a quote-unquote Tom Atkins type. Halloween 3, The Fog, all that good stuff. Boom, I've casted him in this character. That's who I'm picturing. And that's who I can hear. And the funny thing is, if you're a big enough fan and you know someone's nuances, you know how they sound, you know how they talk, you'd be surprised how that directs your dialogue. Because... You could write something and be like, that doesn't sound like something Tom Atkins would say. Or I can't picture him saying that. It's weird because it's your dialogue and it's you. But once you've given it a face and a voice that you can quote unquote hear, you know when it rings true or not. And I've had a lot of compliments on my character development based on how they sound or the things they've said. And I'm like, honestly, it's because I cast it. I can picture and hear it better. I even do the same thing reading a book. You know, if they give me a, a description and I'm you reading it. You put someone in. I'll put someone in. Because a lot of people, I, and I don't understand it, a lot of people could read a book and everyone's kind of faceless. You know what I mean? Right. Or they picture friends, family, whatever. You know, I have to cast it to visualize it. I'm a very visual person. When I'm writing, it's the same thing. If I can cast that person, I'll hear it better and it it helps me with flow, you know, it helps. Absolutely. Me, you know, would, yeah. it, it's so weird to say. And, and the thing is I've, I've talked to people and they, they make it sound like that's counterintuitive. And I'm, and the problem is I'm not casting it. Well, I wrote it like this. This is who we got to get. 
I think that's what people mistake. They're like, why would you picture this person? You don't know if you're going to get them. And I'm like, I don't care. That's who I pictured to get the character out. I don't care who you cast once it's sold or when we start making it. That's how I drew the character, though. I based it on this person or that person. And Now, uh, how deep into mannerisms or characteristics do you go? Fairly, I don't want to say f- real deep, but like enough that like, especially with someone, if you, if you could picture someone, I'll, I'll use a really obvious example. Okay. Someone like Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken has a quirky way of talking. He has a quirky way of moving. If that fits who you're writing, all the better. Because you could say that this guy, you know, the way he raises an eyebrow or the way he leans in and... Or Christopher Walken, how he somehow manages to bust a move every time he's in a movie. Those are things that color your character. I like little quirks like that, and I like playing to them. I don't obsess over it. Mostly it's just audible. It's like, I can't really hear he or she saying that. So tap, 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 tap. I'll go back. And uh, even in vinyl, without giving a character name away or who we're thinking of casting, there's a, there's a part where currently where we left off, the person that we're picturing for this character, the dialogue doesn't ring true to me. It doesn't sound right. Not anymore. Right. Correct. Exactly. The, yeah. Uh, for, for various reasons, for a very specific reason, but yeah. like, and it'll come out when the movie is finished. Exactly. But it's uh, the current person that we're picturing. I can't, I can't hear it in their voice. No, it doesn't sound like them. And when I picture them doing it, I'm like, well, now you're just acting when this should feel very natural. It should just feel like this is who you are. Because another thing I do, if if I play to that character, I play to their strengths. And I'm like, you wouldn't cast Eddie Deason in a Dirty Harry role. You know what I mean? It's like, it's got to match. It's got (laughs) to make sense. So not everyone's going to be the A-lister for every character. Picture picture someone quirky from an indie flick or an old horror movie you watched. Because everyone sounds different. If you can capture that nuance, all of your characters will be unique. All of them. So that's that's what I do, and for some reason I, I kind of get knocked for it. But but you know what? Here's the thing, man. At the bottom line, art is art. It is, and the thing is, I didn't think about it till just now. But the people who knock you for it are usually the academic types who told you to do it a certain way, and it's not what they told you. And see, and that's that's total cookie cutter. It is that's, that I I don't want to do. That's that's master class bullshit, and nothing against those teachers, but creativity doesn't if it fits a structure that's in a book that's not creativity that's lloyd kaufman would call it baby food yeah you're being fed the standard this is this is 101 don't be 101 that's what makes things unoriginal is 101 right so yeah those academic types or the people who give you the advice go don't cast it in your head you're just hindering yourself well, the average Joe that I tossed the script to to get an opinion, they're like, I love your dialogue. You've got really snappy, realistic dialogue. And I'm like, it's because I picture people. I picture real people. Yeah. And you that know. goes back to what I was saying and even how I did it, whether it be myself or family yeah. or like, you know, a, a celebrity or, 
you know, anyone. And, and clearly, like, I mean, when I wrote that character in final, you, you saw who I wrote it for, you know. Yes. And it's because we actually approached him. Yes. And he wanted to do it. And it's like immediately I'm like, okay, I know this person's cadence. I know this person's uh, voice. I know this person's humor, most importantly. And I'm like, there's certain lines where I'm like, that doesn't sound like him. Yeah. That you know what? That I mean, doesn't I hear... sound like a joke he would say or a, right. a quip he would use. And that makes you go back to the creative well and go, well, how would he or she say it? And it, if you change it and it sounds good, and even if, like for me and you, when we were working face-to-face, working on this stuff, if both of us are laughing, it's like, we nailed it. Yep. That's that's going to that's gonna yep. work. And we were, I, I, I couldn't stop laughing. We were dying. Yeah. It was hilarious. And I, and I can't wait to finish it oh yeah i mean it's just gonna get funnier but yeah. it's it's one of those deals where i've and I, I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes how i've never collaborated in real time we were literally kind of acting out your script we definitely were and i you know like when i w- we would pick two characters and we would talk back and forth just reciting it almost like uh what do they call that a uh, a reading yeah it's a, it's a, like a table, table table read, read. yeah that's it that way you can hear it mm-hmm. and you can put a you know, put something to the dialogue that maybe the other person didn't hear. And there was more than one occasion where a line would come up and one of us would be like, we would respond the way we would. And it was like, oh God, there's a joke. All right, let's put that in. You know, you don't get that sitting alone, working on it yourself. No, you do not. But that, that was, for me, it was a new experience and I thought it was fun because we're just, we're busting a gut in here laughing. Yep. And it was like, that means other people are going to find it just as funny as we did. I think so too. And that's, that's a special moment because you know, you know, whatever we're doing is working. I totally agree. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I do the same thing. So, and that's exactly what I did um, with the characters, these two guys. What I start, what I took, I took his concept and I switched it to where the guy that sold his soul really wasn't the lead. No, he's the MacGuffin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I put two boneheads yeah. in there. And what's funny is that the two guys are actually based on myself and my cousin. And so it's like, well, I mean, I, we grew up around each other our entire lives. So I'm like, you perfect. Know, you know what you both sound like? Yeah. You know each other's humor. Yeah. So that's, that's good. That's already a base plate. It, yeah. And again, because I knew it was just going to be a short. Yeah. Because I wanted to see if it actually had legs mm-hmm. to be a movie. Since it was so fresh in my mind about Robert Johnson, I made it blues. Okay. But in the back of my mind, even in the notes, I was looking at hair metal. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? Let me just stick to this story. Even when I do that, it is somewhat different. So you were... Like I said, I, I use the term MacGuffin, and for those those outside of the industry, a MacGuffin is a term used for something that pushes the plot but is not important. So a MacGuffin, a, a good example for you guys would be Pulp Fiction, the suitcase that everyone, that's changing hands. They open it up, there's a gold light coming out. We don't know what it is. It's never explained, but it's important, and it's moving the plot. That's a MacGuffin. Right. We don't... what's in the suitcase is irrelevant. You're supposed to be paying attention to what's happening around it. Right. So in this case, in vinyl, your MacGuffin is this record, the guy who's trying to pawn it off to these idiots. It's not of consequence. 
you just got to worry about these two guys now because <laughs> they have the MacGuffin. Right. You know, and <laughs> what happens when a couple of idiots have the all important but not so important thing? That's the plot. Right. You know, that's yeah. that's where we're supposed to find the humor. It, it happened very easily because I knew, like, going into creating the story, I knew I had a couple of good actors that I wanted to work with. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had a location. So I'm like, win, win, win. Yeah. And as a filmmaker, location and actors is very important. And it's it's very difficult when you do not have the funds to pay somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of these these filmmakers that shoot these shorts early in their career, they are bad. And it's not because they set out to make a bad movie. No. It's just they were working with what they had. Yeah. So don't ever... Be upset that your actor is not an Oscar-worthy actor. Mm-hmm. If it's someone that's willing to give you time and do this for free because they believe in you or they're having fun, you fucking won. Yeah. You won. Yeah. You know? And so I, I was lucky enough to have a few of those guys around that just loved working with me. Mm-hmm. And even on this one, I was able to level up a little bit. I had cast this guy, James Ryan, who had shot a movie years prior called Nuevo Ninja. Up the road from me, there's a town called Nuevo. Okay. And this is a very trauma-esque film. He shot his first film. It's a feature. It's fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. But like most filmmakers, you get to a certain point and it's like, what now? What do I do with it? And that's where he was at with his film. There was no distribution. There was no nothing. He didn't know what... He's like, I'll just put it out for free, I guess. Yeah. And what's crazy is he actually got Lloyd Kaufman in the movie. Really? And it's a fucking hilarious scene between Lloyd and himself. Hmm. It really, really is. I wanted to help him get this movie out because it was good. But all the while, we were developing this friendship. And, and when I was starting to write this i'm like man james would be perfect because he knows how to act and he's got good timing he knows how to deliver lines so i'm like perfect so now i got to find the counterpart yeah for james and i went to greg dow who was in deadheads so i got these two guys together so i'm like perfect i got i so and again like i'd written the script i put it away i read it again in a week And I was like, yeah, there's a few things that need some work Mm -hmm. for sure. Gave it a second draft. And then I gave it to a couple of other people. They read it and they were like, yeah, this is cool. And then they made some suggestions that were positive. Mm -hmm. They were beneficial. I made the changes. And I think after maybe four or five drafts, we finally had a shooting script. So after after you have your shooting script and short film or whatnot, you should always register it with the WGA every time always yep you know no matter what it is just always register it it's very low cost for a lot of peace of mind yes it is you know and it lasts what five i think it used to be five is it it 10 now did it go to 10 i want to say the last couple i've done have been 10 years i could be wrong i don't know wow i'm almost positive it's increased since i first started okay what is it like 30 40 bucks something yeah. like, and yeah. you, and most of the time from like final draft or fade in you could do it right from oh your yeah app. They, they've got it built in where 
you know, what used to be, what what did we used to do back in the day? Mail it? I would, yeah, you'd mail it in. You'd mail it in and then a certificate would come back. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's almost instantaneous now. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so cool. But yeah, it's not expensive, but in the long run, you're protecting your stuff and it doesn't matter how goofy or stupid or short it is, protect your shit. That's key. Yes. So yeah, so after we had the shooting script, I, you know, I started casting and then we would go up to the record store block mm-hmm. just trying to figure out like you know obviously because you've been to that record store and yes. the record store i'm talking about is it's called spindles in temecula it's a very small store it's tight very it he's is got tight. he's got a ton he of does product in there great stuff oh yeah great stuff <laughs> I, I never go in there and not come out with something but yeah it's kind of one of those deals where if someone's coming down the aisle in the other direction, you got to stop and let them out, let them go. For, you know, you do. It's very tight. So a production there, I. It was I tough, was, man. I was impressed that you got something out. Yeah, of it, it, it was. It was tough um, because at, at the time it was just me and my cameraman that were going up there mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, breaking breaking the script down and where we were gonna put the actors, the cameras for each scene, and where we were gonna, you know, because again. Being prepared and breaking your script down and blocking storyboarding, if you can draw, and it could be stick figures, doesn't matter. You can draw stick figures just so you can see something. You just need the visual. You need a visual. Yeah. Just to be able to see, like, does this work? Mm-hmm. You know, because we don't have, like, as 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 independent filmmakers, we don't have the luxury of, well, I'm going to bring my entire cast up and we're going to just rehearse at the location. Oh, no. Yeah, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. You know, so you got to do the next best thing. And it's like, well, I got to draw it on some paper and see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So we did that. You know, we, we went up there and we blocked and we got just like a shot list ready to go. Mm-hmm. Then the record store owner and I were like trying to figure out the hours. You sure. Because he's. It's a functioning store. He opens at 10. And he closes at, I think it was seven, six or seven. So you still got daylight. There was, but I see, I didn't need daylight because it was a night movie. True. Okay. So, yeah. but, it, but what worked for us was when, you know, and again, I don't want to get too far ahead, but, and it was a very small cast. It was literally the two guys and the guy who sold his soul. Mm-hmm. There was another character who was the guy who was like eating Fritos out of a bag in his crotch? That that was another uh, younger filmmaker. <laughs> I just remember him cracking me up. Yeah, but he was just a he was another he was another filmmaker that would help out. We'd work on his projects, he'd work on our projects, things That's like cool. that. But um, so it was literally just <clears throat> it was like five characters in the entire film because mm-hmm. I wanted it very small to be able to manage it because this this was only my. I want to say this might have been my second time really directing something really? and a crew. I didn't, I didn't know it was that early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was like 2011 when we started. Okay. And then I think we ended up shooting and then getting it out in 2012. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, the cast had the, they had the scripts and they were learning their lines and rehearsing and I was getting everything ready. And of course, you know, a, the, one of the biggest things I could tell any filmmaker one mistake you do not want to make above anything is feed your cast and crew. <laughs> Crafty is king. It's uh, you do not want hangry talent. No, 
because there is a lot of what a lot of industry people know is the hurry up and wait. Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the things people dread yeah. about a shoot. It's why a lot of actors prefer stage. It's a little more immediate movies. I, I've heard interviews with people who have come from the stage two movies and they're like, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I was told I was, I've been here since 6am and nothing's happened. And, well, it's funny you say that because you know. after we got everything set up and we worked out a schedule, my friend was going to let his wife open the store. He was going to come in and close and then stay with us as long as we needed to be there. Mm-hmm. So he was excited and happy. Oh my God, we're shooting a movie at my store. Yeah. You know, cause it's a movie. Yeah. I remember day one, we're bringing in gear and lights and again, when I say gear and lights, I'm talking prosumer stuff, like which isn't bad for a second. No, it's not, but but that's, it's that's but some pretty good. Equipment. But we were also using we were using some low grade lights, which there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's like as long as the scene was lit, mm-hmm. running filters over the lights to get rid of the harshness is like that's always good. If you don't have the luxury of hiring like a grip and gaff or someone who can come set up your lights and know where to place your lights. Mm -hmm. It's best you learn. Oh, sure. How to, where to put your lights. Yep. How to watch the washout and the shadowing and all those things are very, very important. And especially for me, I was also editing the film. Yeah. You know, so. So you're, you're picturing it even more different from other people you're you're planning ahead you kind of shoot with an editor's mind don't you have to yeah okay i figure it's just the easiest way if you're a director you know yeah i do yeah so we had day 1 and we had everyone there and it was it was funny because even though everyone had scripts and it was low budget so i didn't have a lot of luxuries i told as soon as james and greg uh, got up to set I walked out, They, I met them, and I walked out to them, and I'm like, Greg James, James Greg, you guys are lifelong best friends. Yeah. You grew up together, went to school together, you're each other's everything. You have two hours. Bye. <laughs> and they they took a walk across to the AMPM, and they got some drinks. And when they came back, they were best friends. That's pretty funny. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's cool. But. Yeah. And James is the kind of actor too, where some of the first scenes we were shooting, cause that's another thing too, is you don't shoot movies in order. No, it's rare that that happens. It's, it's very rare. Extremely. So we were shooting this scene where they're high energy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these guys went and each got two giant monster energies. <laughs> And they pounded both of them in like a minute. Oy. And after I was like, okay, the, the fuse is lit, guys. Yeah. I was like, we now have to worry about getting out of their way. Mm-hmm. The blocking is like, it's over. Yeah. They knew where to hit their mark. So they were going to never be out of frame. They knew it was fine. So I'm like, now we're just shooting the chaos. Yeah. And we shot and it was, man, it was fucking cool. Like it was really, really cool. Had to feel good watching it come together. That it did. Way. You know, that's yeah. the thing. Is like it, it. It's not so much while you're shooting. No, because you're in the you're in the shit. Right. 
when you start watching playback, you know, you're kind of like, oh man, this is this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I thought thought this in my mind, and now here these two guys are doing it. True. That was cool. Yeah. Like that was really fun to me. I remember having a similar feeling during Maternal Instincts when Felissa was tied to a chair begging for her life. At that point, I wasn't doing anything. I was just on set. I'm just watching. It was intense. And I was like, damn. You know, and what was funny, I remember pulling you aside and being like, she made it scarier than I wrote it. She put panic in there, you know. And that's what happens when you get a professional. Exactly. And it was just one of those deals where, like you said, I had the benefit of not being in the shit totally. I wasn't behind a camera. I wasn't holding a boom mic. I just got to watch. I got to watch her act live. And I got that feeling. Like you were talking, I'm like, man, she just kicked this in the air, you know. And it was like, it was one of those deals where the next day I was going to shoot with her. That was the first time I felt intimidated. Really? It was because I was excited to work with Felicity. Well, then we should get to that story because that's a great story in of itself. It is. So, so I think, um, so getting back to this real quick and then, yeah. cause like I do have a, I, I do have a question about, uh, maternal for you. Sure. But, um, if I can say one thing is if you can find people that aren't your friends mm-hmm. do that. I know it's easier to want to cast your friends because they're there. But the problem with that, and I've had it many, many times, is that your friends, because they're your friends, they're going to flake on you. Mm -hmm. They're going to leave on you. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to listen to you. They know you as their buddy, not their boss. So that's how you're going to get treated. Yeah. And I did learn that when I was young. Sure. Before I ever really started like... This is what I'm doing as a career. Mm-hmm. Before we were just having fun and making funny movies, and it was just cool. I was never like, "Oh, this is this is the career." Yeah, because I was. I mean, I was young. Like, I mean, I'm talking like VHS camera. Oh yeah, the big the big brick on your shoulder. Yeah, but you knew what you wanted, and they were here for the fun, right? And you were like, "This isn't what I picked." Yeah, so definitely do not cast your friends. Like everyone. That's ever worked on one of my sets did not start out as a buddy that we hung out before film. Hmm. They were all found and introduced through this medium of film. Okay. And, you know, being an artist and creating. Yeah. You know, so everyone understood. So they had a level of professionalism, even though we were all new, Mm -hmm. you know, and we were still, you know, just learning. Mm Mm-hmm. I can say that I was given, I was given the respect that I was giving. Sure. And I never was getting that when I was younger, you know. This is just some funny shit we were doing and right. why, why are you taking it so seriously, yeah. you know. I could see that. Yeah. So, I, again, like I said, bi- another big piece of advice is find people, yeah. find actors. Because here's the thing. There are actors out there that are fucking great that are willing to work for free. Mm. And if you can look at drama class in high school or colleges or community theaters to like Facebook groups, just transparency is key. Yeah. you got to say, look, I want to do this. I'm green, but I have a vision and, I, and I'm putting something together. Would mm-hmm. you like to be in this? Right. And if you're transparent, 
the way that's going to be like received is it'll be a positive. It is positive. You know. Yeah. If you, you know, if you're don't cast your friends. <laughs> just just don't cast your friends, man. Which is, like which is funny that you say that because there are instances where someone did just that and it worked swimmingly. But see, it also depends on like if you have someone like um who is who's Danny McBride's homie? They they came Go- up Gordon Green? Bingo. Yeah. Danny okay. Gordon. So they came up together uh-huh. as friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like there was already that level of professionalism there, mm-hmm. you know, and they both want that thing. Yeah. Like they started the the journey together and actually achieved mega stardom. Unlike, I want to do this. Let me cast this guy who works at fucking Walmart with no desire to be in a filmmaker. He's only doing it because he's a body. Well, not just that, but he's a buddy too, right? Is yeah, that what that's what I mean. Yeah, like he's a buddy, but he's like, when you just look for bodies... It's going to hurt your project. Sure. I was thinking kind of, you know, I granted people like Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, they were buddies first, but they all went to school together. Then you've got someone like, say, Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith. Right. That's just some guy he knew and was like, I need that energy in my movie. Yeah. And Jay and Silent Bob have become iconic. And he wasn't like a film school guy. Uh, Muse, I mean. So, I mean, yeah, I would imagine that's a flash in the pan, you think? Here's the thing about stuff like that. Is it just more common in the indie world, maybe? This is what I think about stuff like that, okay? Mm-hmm. The film industry is... It's an industry that... It's all walks of life. It's all shapes and sizes and colors. And you go to medical school, mm-hmm. and when you come out, you're going to be a doctor. Yes. You go to the police academy. When you come out, you're going to be police officer. Mm-hmm. When you go to film school, when you come out, you're going to be a waiter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because there is no, oh, you went to film school? Here's your job. There's what do you no, want to be? Here's your money. Thank you. There's no guarantee. Right. So what, I'm, what I mean by that is like every, every situation is different in the film industry. Mm-hmm. Film school may work for some people. It may not work for other people. Everyone's journey is different. Mm -hmm. So I don't compare myself to anyone. Sure. I don't compare what I've done to anyone. Mm -hmm. I am just doing what I feel works for myself. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought film school. I thought film school when I was younger. I wanted to go to film school. Uh, Strangely enough, it never crossed my mind. Okay. Nope. I I went and I toured a couple of film schools. Mm -hmm. And... It just wasn't for me. You know, it just it just was not for me. Yeah. You know, so plus it makes you wonder all the time I was in film school could I have been doing something by doing it. Yeah. If I would have went to film school, I think I would have tried to do the Kevin Smith route and f- like kind of find someone who was really immersed the way he did with Mosier. Sure. And I would have bounced and like that way we still would have had that tie to film school. And we could have used equipment and actors and things like, you know, that that's the benefit. But I'm very, I'm, I'm very satisfied with my decision of not going to film school. Sure. Even though it has been a struggle and it's been, you know. No, but you, even myself, we've learned by doing. And film school, you're not doing, you're practicing. Yeah. And you could go to film school for years and in those years... You could have been doing right and become a pro. And I feel like it's also people telling you 
how to be creative. Uh, exactly. And that's frustrating. Very frustrating. You're being graded on your creativity when yeah. it should be subjective. Yeah. And yeah. No, I, I get that. And I, that's something that when I consider it, well, I didn't, I never considered film school, but when I'd hear about it or read about it, I'd be like, why was film school so tough for this person? I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't all ideas be encouraged? And I mean, I, I understand learning the technical aspects of it. But if you're not going to film school to be a grip or a cameraman or something like that, and you're the you're part of the creative team, you can't really teach creativity, and you shouldn't be graded on it either. I, agree. I don't think. So yeah, I mean, for me, film school was never a an option or even a point of interest. Right. Frankly, and I've 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 said to you since I've been here lately, you know, with like my. DVD and Blu-ray collection between commentaries, documentaries, and interviews, you've got film school. You've got it all over the place. If you're, a, if you're a movie collector, especially in this day and age where there's bells and whistles and all kinds of stuff on your, on your DVD, you paid 20 bucks for that movie. Well, that's 20 bucks and probably a couple hours worth of lessons for you right there. Absolutely. You know, it who better to hear it from than the people who did it? And the people you look up to. And look up to. Yeah, that's a big, big portion. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, getting back to that, I we shot it, and we we shot them. It was it was about 20 pages. And, you know, I know they say, like, a page is like a minute that's the uh, film. The ratio. Yeah, so, but, it you know, and, and again, it was 20 minutes, and after what I shot, I had about a 22-minute short. Okay. After the film was done. I was not too nervous, but I was like, man, I hope people like it. Mm -hmm. So I had sent it to a couple of friends in the industry. And I'm like, can you please watch this movie? Mm -hmm. And I remember the response I got. The response was, fuck, dude, 20 minutes? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I said, okay, oh, fucking fair. I said, you know what? Give me five minutes. Uh-huh. If you don't like it in five minutes, turn oh. it off in five minutes if you, if, if you don't like it. And he was like, okay, fine. <laughs> 45 minutes goes by. No response. And I'm just like, oh, man. And then he finally calls me. And he was like, it's fucking good, dude. I watched it twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, so you think I should submit? He's like, absolutely. Absolutely uh, submit. That's cool. And I was like, okay. And it's like, the, you know, the effects are cheesy because we have no money, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, but I'm not embarrassed by that. No. Because I did what I could with what I had. You know what's funny? And I, I just made the point about Blu-rays and DVDs being film school. Uh-huh. Do you know how many directors have, or I shouldn't say directors, but like, these boutique agencies like Scream Factory, Arrow, Synapse, and all them. You know how many of these companies unearth the student pictures that these directors did? And they put it on there, not as an embarrassment, but to show you, look how they started. You know, like I've seen Sam Raimi's Super 8 movies. Uh-huh. He's Sam Raimi now. 
you look at those old movies. If you if he if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like, these are fucking weird, and they look so cheap and stupid, you know. But it's like because you know who Sam Raimi is and his body of work and his creativity, you go back and it's you're like, wow, look what he did with what he had, you know. I mean, yeah, it's cheap and it's dingy and all this, but it's like someone thought enough to put it on this Blu-ray to show you potential filmmaker you. This is how you start, and this is good. You can get, you can grow from this. Absolutely. And I love it when a big director's old shit gets unearthed and put on it as like a bonus feature because it's it's humbling. Nobody just dives in and makes Titanic. <laughs> you know, the, you know, nobody just fell into Avatar. Good pun, by you the know, way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like. Yeah, even James Cameron had Piranha 2. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We all flipped our burgers at some point. But when you get that big and you've got that much clout, it makes it all the sweeter when someone finds your old stuff and just goes, remember this? Yeah. Remember? And I definitely have a lot of that remember this shit. Oh, so, me too. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, I can't wait to be at least at least successful enough that the stuff that we've done looks quaint and cute and Hey, look, and we can look back on it like an old home movie and go, that was a fucked up week, but look where we are. Look, look what we've accomplished from that. You know, right. I think that's neat. I think that's cool. And uh, I don't know. I just, I just find stuff like that really cool because it, it kind of humanizes your heroes. You had a question for me. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes. So. You know, we did my whole um, Vinyl Redemption thing. Okay. I wasn't listening at all the entire time, but yeah, go ahead. I didn't know you were in the room. Um, yeah. You did. <laughs> so. I got nothing. <laughs> so maternal. Yeah. That is your first onset film. Yes. So what was your process? We know Marv brought the the story the story to you. So, but we never talked about you know your process of getting from concept to your standing in a studio, yeah, shooting your movie. Um, when he gave me the concept of sort of a, I guess you could say she was like a succubus, and with this creepy cannibal family that she was feeding people to. That was basically it. I think I think the other detail he gave me was she gets micked, you know, by these pricks and go from there. You know, they should all die by the end, you know, and I'm like, cool, whatever. And he did tell me that Felissa was interested. So I was able to write to Felissa. You know, I was able to base this character around her nuances and stuff. And what's funny is around that time... I hadn't gone so deep into Felissa's filmography as to get her mannerisms and all that down. Cause I just had sleepaway camp and she was a kid and she spends most of the movie not talking, you know, but I had a lot of documentaries and behind the scenes and interviews with her that I was like, okay, she, you know, she's bubbly. She's, uh, she's got that hint of New York, you know, and you've had interactions with her, uh, before that. No. Oh, just, just one. Okay. Just one. And it was uh, it was because of the column I wrote, which I mentioned a couple episodes back probably. But very brief. Very brief. We weren't friends yet. She just admired my work. I admired hers. But Marv said, 
she's she's going to be in it. She's going to be interested and she'll be the main demon. Cool. Um, he called and told me all this while I was at my nine to five. It was just one of those deals. He sends me a text. You got a minute to talk. And I'm like, I'm at work. And then he goes, I got some news about Felissa. I went, let me put a, let me, let me, yeah, I'll step outside, (laughs) you know? So I'm like, what's going on, dude? And he was just like, Felissa wants to do a movie with you and we're going to do this story. And he goes, what do you think? And I was like, I can work with that. You know, it was just kind of the quick, almost like your 24 hour movie thing that you did. Okay. It was almost the same thing where I had just a couple of things to work with and go. So I was like, all right. Um, when I went home, I just banged it out. It probably took me a couple of days, you know, and, uh, I sent a first draft back to Marv and he really liked it. And he goes, I'm going to send it to Felissa. Uh-huh. So not too much time passed. might've been a week or so. I hear from Marv that Felissa fell in love with it. She goes, this is really good. Let's do it. I was like, all right, cool. And I'm like, damn, you know, but I hadn't considered the fact. And again, going back to that book I bought, writers aren't, writers don't go on the set. So I was like, well, have fun, everybody. You know, it was just kind of like, I'll just sit here in Michigan and hope that this leads to other things. How long did it take you to write it? The the maternal? Mm -hmm. Just a couple of days. How many drafts did you go through? Maybe three. Okay. Yeah. I think I think the shooting script might have been third, third or fourth. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't many because there was just a couple of notes, really. And um, when you got a hold of it, you had a couple of notes. And I just, I didn't, there wasn't a lot that anyone wanted me to change. There was a, an extra scene that, did you want it put in or did Marv, like a flashback scene? No, that was me. That was you? Okay. That was the bar scene. Yes. And that was the only major change that I made because it was a whole new scene, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, so I wrote this scene and, um, (laughs) was it your idea to have like a, a doofus that she turns down? Okay, so here's the thing. Because <laughs> I don't know. I, I no, no, no. Look, here's the thing. Okay. I don't really remember the details. Um, it was not a doofus. Okay, it was just a guy. Yeah. So this just this just plays more into the fact of how fucking hard you are on yourself. Okay. What? So stop that shit. Um. So I thought, here's the, I thought it was supposed to be like a nerd do well. But no, no, no. Again, it it was it it was just don't take this the wrong way. Yeah. It was just opposite Kevin. Oh <laughs> I gotcha. That's all it was. Okay. All right. That's all it was. It had to be someone she turned down. But she was no, remember she was into it at first. Because she was flirting. Oh and there there was there was a connection going on. Yeah, there was, I guess. And then You're he right. popped up and she's like, uh you know. Yeah, yeah. But no, see, here's the thing. So when when the scene was written, yeah. I knew. I didn't tell anyone. Okay. Like I knew that it was going to be you cuz if you want to tell them when you found out you were going to be in the movie, <laughs> I <laughs> God. Yeah, this was funny. Okay, I was I had sent I had to have sent you the updated 
draft with that scene. Yeah. And what's funny is I named the character Stu. Yeah. Based on Stu from Night of the Demons. Because he was the oafish, obnoxious idiot. Not Kevin, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, it's got... Because when I, when I wrote it, I pictured just... Someone kind of, kind of just obnoxious and st- someone that would be turned down, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, did you reel me in a little bit? And you're like, "Don't make him stupid." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay." So I just made him just a decent guy, but he was he's still stew. He's he's still the guy. He's going home alone. Poor guy. And at that point, I believe you had cast everybody. I did because you had sent me. I think a group photo and you're just like, check it out. This is the cast of maternal. And I was like, sweet, you know? So he was, <laughs> this was like the only X factor. Now I was like, well, now you got to cast this guy. I'm like, it's one extra character now that didn't exist before. And I thought we were done, you know? So I, I remember I was in the car with my wife. We were going grocery shopping or something. And I, I was in the passenger seat and I was texting with you about the project and I literally asked you, so who's this poor, sad bastard that gets turned down by this beautiful woman? I was like, who's, who's the unlucky guy who gets to go home with pie on his face? And he went, Brad says, well, here's the thing. (laughs) And I go, what? And he was just like, I kind of wanted you to do it. And I'm like, fuck you, get out of here. You know, I, I probably put like a dozen U's in fuck, like fuck. And it was just funny because I thought you were kidding. Did you? I did. I was just like, because again, A, writers aren't on set. And B, I'm not an actor. The fuck am I? Who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? But you were like, I kind of want to trust you with this one. And I'm like, so does that mean I got to come out? And you're like, well, yeah. So I'm like, shit, well, now I got to figure this out. And I was nervous because, again, I'm not an actor. Uh, I never aspired to be. You know why I knew you could do it? Why? Two reasons. Because seriously, at at that point, we hadn't Mm. even met. No. So you you hadn't seen any skill? No. In that department? Two reasons. Okay. One, you're a writer. Mm Mm-hmm. So you understand character. Yeah. Two. You're a movie fan. Mm-hmm. That was it. That there's was a, it. There's a lot of terrible actors out there. Doesn't matter. That like, I... Because this, even knowing this now, that's still a gamble. I for feel, me, it wasn't. I feel like it's a gamble. For me, it wasn't. Because I could have come out there and just been a complete fucking no. disaster. You know, well, we'd also talked on the phones a, a lot true yeah and it wasn't just text and email no and the, and you're the, right and the right. way you would deliver things and your humor i'm like you know he can do it hmm. he can do it and it was great it was fucking great because <laughs> i even remember josh was like this is my brother by the way my youngest my youngest brother josh he came along with me I felt like he was because I stuck his ass in the movie too. Yeah, he's in there. He's 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 in the he's in the left pocket. He's a he's a patron. He's a patron. He's a patron in, in, the, in the bar scene. Yeah, and I'm like, he's and just. W- 
What was he saying? Was it Taylor Swift watermelon? Was that the... Yes. That's the extras silent... Yeah. And then we were telling other people to say their ABCs. Is that what it was? You say it fast, and then you say it, you say it slow. And then you, Taylor, Taylor Swift watermelon. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was really funny because he was like, not dis- in a disparaging way, but it was just like, you really want him to do this? <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, Josh did that? <laughs> but it was. I had he, no idea. He didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a condescending. It was. It was more like, man, I'm proud of my brother. Like, you really want him to do this? Oh, okay. Not like, are you fucking sure this? No. This, hey, this stew motherfucker is a buffoon. <laughs> yeah. No, he, I, I can't imagine him doing that. No, but, he was like, he, he was, was ex- he was genuinely excited for you. Well, it was funny because before coming out, I remember telling him, I'm like, I've got a scene opposite Felissa Rose. I'm like, okay, so first of all, been a fan for years. Second of all, I, I'm just going to meet her, and then I got to act alongside of her. And then when I mentioned earlier watching her panic and shit in that chair, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, fuck, and she's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I got to work. I, 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 uh, I'm like, she's, she's kicking ass over there, and I'm, I'm over here like, acting neat. You know, this will be ding me. This will be fun, and I'm just I'm like, you gotta be fucking kidding me now, because I was I was so nervous once I saw her performance. I'm like, oh, so we're bringing a game to this? Okay, fine. Now let me put my Lawrence Olivier hat on. I'll I'll never forget blocking you two at the bar. Was it the two shot? Yeah, uh-huh. and just seeing it because that's that's a one. Shotter. We did it in one take. We did, didn't we? We did it, it was... in one take. Because there's there's edits. Yeah. Because we had to get insert shots of a couple but of things. But the majority, like, we did it one time. Yeah. And that was even more intimidating because I'm like, I'm going to have to remember about five minutes worth of lines here. And But it was great because I don't know if you remember the cheers after you, we cut. You mean like the show? Yes. We all sing. We did all sing the song. Everyone knew your name. Yes. Um, no, the just the just the applause that you got. Yeah, I was I was very surprised. Even from Felissa and and, and Brookfest and like everyone was just like, everyone's laughing because it was so good. I, yeah, I, I, it was so good. What's funny, and we mentioned this at the beginning of the show, living in that moment. No clue, no clue whatsoever. But it was Dennis, I think. Cause he, he was holding the boom, like from behind the bar, right? Like on the floor. Yeah. All I remember from that was him coming around the bar and just throwing a hug on me and just going, damn. Yeah. And I went, what? You know, I was just, what? he's just like, dude, it was just, he didn't have words. And I was just like, I didn't do anything, you yeah. know, but apparently it was a big deal. And it was I, a big deal. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Because to me, I just felt like a glorified extra. You know, no, like, no, I, not at I, all. I had some cool lines, but not at all. It was a great interaction. It was fun. I mean, even the, even even, you know, you and uh, Brookfest, the back and forth. You know. Oh yeah, we were kind of nipping at each other. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> it was like we we knew each other for a while. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty natural. It was. Yeah. She she was just fun. She and she got stuff out of me because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on paper it wasn't much. No, but and see, and that's the good thing about working with pros. Mm-hmm. They 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 can coax it out of you. You know, 
And yeah, yeah Brookfest, she was she was awesome. She was they all were. But yeah, that was that was a fun moment. It was pretty neat. Did you rehearse? Not at all. Swear to God. I want to say the only Here's a pro- I almost want to not believe you, but I'm gonna. Here's the thing. This is what happened because we spent a lot of time setting up. There was just a lot of setup. And during that time, I'm bullshitting with my brother and Bravo, the the effects guy. We were all just bullshitting. And Felissa was just sitting at the bar by herself, just kind of flipping pages, you know, looking. And I was like, so I walked over very sheepishly and was kind of like, um, you got any advice for me? And that was it. It was kind of like, we're going to do this scene in a minute. And I just, is there anything I should know, should do, whatever. And her, she didn't give advice. She looked at me. She kind of read over a certain thing, a dialogue and went, I am really mean to you. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I was like, the writer's an asshole. Writer set you up. And we laughed about it. But I said, should should we rehearse or anything? And I think she said, yeah, I go, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And, and she got pulled away for a minute because her kids were on set, you know, she, they were part of it as well. And then it was like, all right, you guys ready? <laughs> I'm like, no, but let's fucking do this. You know? <laughs> so there was no rehearsal. There was, there was talk of it. And I think even at one point, Kevin might've been like, I think I think he said something like when I when I muscle my way in between you guys, you know, I'm going to do this or this. And is that OK? You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I think he. Oh, he did tell me where to where to move and where to face, because he was just like yeah. he was explaining to me the lighting and all that, which was awesome. It was super cool of him to That's give cool. me that. Yeah. But as far as running lines. Not a word we were going to. She got distracted. And then we were ready to roll. And I'm like, well, I guess we're just fucking doing this. So I spent most of the time up to that point, just reading and rereading and rereading. And that was it. So I didn't get to bounce lines off. of As as much as off script you were. Was it? It was very natural, though. What do you mean off script? Like, did I sail off of? No, no, no. Like, I mean, off script means like. Oh, just saying, you know, you know the lines. Saying what's on the page. You know, you know, yeah, you're off script. Okay. Yeah, meaning like you don't have to look at the script. I'm off script to know everything. Oh, for some reason I took off script as like, I I was you know ad libbing. Yeah, like, no, you know, no, is is you know as as much as you know, I'll, I'll rephrase it. Um, <laughs> as much as you knew the lines, <laughs> um, how nervous were you? Extremely, because it it didn't show. I. <laughs> That's a personal problem. That's not a personal problem. No, I mean, that's, I compartmentalize my fear. Uh, my wife has told me before during intense, scary moments, she goes, I look to you when things are scary because you ground me. She goes, you don't rattle. And I was like, well, on the inside, I'm screaming my fucking head off and <laughs> I'm on fire and falling off a cliff, you know, but I'm like, but I've learned how to internalize panic. Uh, becoming sweaty gives me away. You'll see that little. Pew. So yeah, but that's I, I 
didn't want everyone to feel like not confident in me. You know what I mean? I was like, Brad's trusting me with this. It's kind of a big scene. Just don't fuck it up. And yeah, I was scared. And I was working against somebody that I was a fan of. Yeah. This wasn't a convention interaction where I'm shaking her hand and going, Hey, thanks for the photo. You know, this was like, I'm going to act with Angela from sleepaway camp. And she's no longer Angela from sleepaway camp. She's a fucking knockout, beautiful woman. And I'm like, I got to just pretend like I'm putting my Mac on. And even, it was even above that, she was a character that you created. Yes. So it was surreal, extremely surreal. Awesome. But yeah, I was, I was scared. And if you remember before this, before the two shot where I come up to the bar, I didn't know how to walk. I had a scene because the, the, the shot for the people who haven't seen it, Brookfest and Kevin have a kind of little conversation at a table. And in the background, I'm at a slot machine. All I had to do was after their conversation, get up and walk to the bar. I'm in the background. I'm not even a point of focus. Was it three or four takes where you were like, just walk. And I'm like, I am. How do I, how am I not walking right? I don't understand why my feet, you know, it was just, that's where I fucked up. Walking, getting up from a, <laughs> getting up from a stool and walking to the bar. And the funny thing was that was, that was shot before, you know, that was in sequence. I'm sitting here like, if I can't walk, what am I going to do when I have to speak? <laughs> I'm like, because I couldn't, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I'm just like, either he's fucking with me or I am shitting the bed so hard right now. I'm just like, so I was even more scared because it took me like three or four takes to walk. Well, because it's, I refer to it. And I don't know any, anyone else does, but for me, I refer to it as Frankenstein. Oh, just stiff. Yeah. I was stiff. Like there was no movement in the shoulders. The arms were dragging. You're just, you like, you just walk. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, no, no, you just, you gotta just take a beat, take a beat and just walk up, you know? Cause when you're walking through, you know, when you're walking somewhere, you're going to glance down and look at, you're going to look at other people. Yeah. You know, especially if you're at a bar. Yeah. You know, but you literally just like, you stood up and just like walked the... (laughs) And it was funny. I was like, get me the fuck out of this <laughs> it shot. Was funny. It's like, I, know, I don't want to do this next scene. <laughs> Cause I'm sitting here. I, I'm, what, I'm pretending to play slots. Yeah. And, uh, I think I even asked you at one point, should I look disappointed? Like I just fucking, you know, slots weren't good to me today, you know? And I think I had a drink. You did. Cause I was, cause going, you were going to get another one. I was going up. And I'm going to tell you something. I have a story about that. That has never been told. To you. Really? Yes. So about, about the drink? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I'm gonna get into this. All right, hang on. Let me and please, please do not do not hate me. But this is the first time. When do we shoot that? 20 March of 16. Okay. I know it was springish. Okay, so everyone everyone else knows this story. Even Tina knows this story. And she wasn't even there. She was not there. God damn it. Okay. Okay. Lay it on me. So we're we're set decking. Okay? Okay. And 
we got the bar built and we're just set deck and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, putting up pictures and just making it look like a bar. We're building tables and we're yeah. we're putting stuff up like and then road signs. Yes, and, you know. and and then bottles. We needed bottles yes. behind the okay. Yes. So the guy with the Doritos in his crotch from <laughs> the Vinyl Redemption. <laughs> so I drew a I drew a picture of him one time, mm-hmm. like this fucking goofy picture of him, a caricature. Yeah, and one of us cut it out. And stuck it on a bottle. Okay. And it's in other films. That that bottle's in other films. And <laughs> okay. it's just this goofy looking picture of him. Because, <laughs> because the movie we were shooting with him, mm-hmm. we took highlighter and poured it into water. And it turned it yellow, but it, it was glowing under like black. A, like a fluorescent. Yeah. It was a fluorescent marker. We had squeezed it out into a bottle okay of water and under the black light it was glowing and it looked you know fucking crazy and all this stuff well we just put it behind the counter for set deck just for a prop okay and i told brookfest here's the bottle this is the one you crack you pour his drink mm-hmm. done got it we shoot your scenes you walking and then we break, we do this, we do the turnaround setup for the two shot. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. We All do right. that whole, like, but we, sh- you know, she, she gives you a drink. Yes. Remember when she gives you a drink? Yes. She grabbed the wrong bottle. I drank a highlighter. <laughs> yes. God damn it. All right. I quit. I'm fucking out of here. I have, I've been glowing in the dark ever since. Yeah. Man. I didn't see it initially. I could piss light. <laughs> I didn't see it initially. Okay. <laughs> like it was it was the producer. Okay? Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's like this. And I'm like looking and I'm like what? And he's like and I'm like what? By then you're like and you're like, and your bar smells like piss. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. <laughs> and you fucking that, you, that was my ad lib. You slam the shot down. And you go, fuck you, Daisy. And your bar smells like piss. Cut. And everyone cheers. And I'm like, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how many years ago is this? Okay, so four, five, six, seven. Yeah, it's been about seven ish years. Seven years of. <laughs> prostate cancer oh, fuck. uh i've i haven't had to piss with the lights on in months you know what at the end of the day then kind of cool it's like you're a welcome it's like a lightsaber you're welcome <laughs> and it, it man it was just one of those things where i'm like whenever i need to remember something in a book i just drag my dick across <laughs> it <laughs> unbelievable god damn it Man, Brookfest, if you're listening to this, <laughs> she had no idea either. I don't blame you. I blame the fucking director. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, look. <laughs> bottle. Okay, I said, here's the bottle. This is the one. This not, is the not the one that's glowing. Because the bottle I had, this was going to be my, not joke, but you're welcome. It was pure vodka oh you were 
I was going to give you a shot of vodka. An actual just straight up shot of vodka. Yeah. Because here's what's funny, and I'm, I'm not joking right now. She poured me the drink, and I remember it had a yellowish... <laughs> it did have a yellowish tint to it, but all day, me and my brother and uh, Robert Bravo, we, we, we kept joking about eating popcorn, because it was real, pop, pop, real popcorn on the thing for a prop, so it's popcorn. Yeah. When she tips this bottle and this yellowish, you know, this ember thing comes out, I just remember thinking, oh, prop liquor? I don't know. You know. What, what liquor's fucking I, fluorescent fucking yellow? I don't yellow. know, but I, I still had prop corn in my head. And I, you know, I didn't say anything. And when I knocked it back, it just tasted like water. And I'm like, thank God. Well, why was it just yellow water? <laughs> oh my God. You know, because briefly, briefly, I'm like, it looks like piss. <laughs> and it didn't smell like piss. I'm assuming it didn't taste like piss. It just tasted like water. water. Okay, good. But I wrote it off like maybe it was, maybe the glass was tinted. You know, like the glass had a little... Okay, a yellow tinge. It just had, you know, yeah, like, you know, just a, a little like sherry glass or whatever the fuck it was. But I remember the yellow. You do remember it. Yeah, but I had no fucking idea. <laughs> I just thought, like I said, I thought it was the glass or something. And I just knocked it back. It tasted like water. And I walked away with my last little... The, the Your bar smells like piss was 100% an ad lib. All joking aside... Had I known, I would have cut. But you know what's funny? You said it was a one take shot. What if I, after, what if we cut and I fucked up every take after that? Okay, again. Oh my god. Again, he, okay. The safety of your crew and your cast oh. is very important. Oh, my kidneys are. Fine. So I would have never, I would have never done that. Because you, oh you my said god, the, the producer was like wildly gesturing oh no he was oh he was he was like doing this like motioning like drink and like pointing like look (laughs) and i'm like what where where was he because i remember the two shot but you couldn't you weren't in front of me because there was only enough room for tiffany to stand there and dennis i think on the floor we were in the corners is that what it was i think you were to my left yeah with the lights you couldn't see us with the lights in your face, you couldn't see us in the corner. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I couldn't. Re- I remember the setup, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to picture like, was it? Would there have been a way for me to see all the, the gesturing? No, the- not at all. Okay, not at all. No, because with those lights in your eyes, you can't see anything. It was super bright. Yeah, you yeah. can't see anything with those lights. And like I said, him just. I'm like, what the f- what? <laughs> you know, and then then I looked. This is and why writers don't go on set. I saw the you, bottle. You try to poison them. I saw that bottle and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Well, folks, he's not going home alive. <laughs> We're going to ship him back in a cast. Well, I guess now we know that drinking highlighter fluid doesn't kill you immediately. I don't know how many years it shaved off, but I'm still here. I'm still ticking. I mean, I, whatever it was, it definitely lost its potency. I get. How long ago was the prior prior out? to that? It was probably then that had to be that had to be. Oh man, 
because 2011 or oh that long ago or maybe 10 or 11 that the shit was put in it yeah because uh yeah the set and everything was dressed long before we shot in there yeah i I came and it was already yeah no we had set decked a while yeah and it was funny because that bar was so nice that no one wanted to tear it down i know because it looked like a bar i remember you sending me pictures and i was just like this is sad yeah everything was just kind of and me i'm just like all right fucking get it down let's go to the next one next project yeah so how happy were you with the end result the The end result when you sent me the first uh first pass through yeah I was amused by it. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, it was creepy when it needed to be creepy. Again, Felissa's panic felt palpable. You know, she really sold that. Um, Brooke Vest and Kevin were appropriately douchey. Uh, I thought it felt good. It felt good. And uh, I was more surprised because I don't think I watched a lot of the playback. I no, you didn't. I, um, you know what was weird, and I kept, and I kept telling you guys to like interact and come closer. Yeah, but you guys, I, you know, you were often next to each other, like you would be further away. Yeah, and I, I wanted, and I kept telling you, no, dude, come, come up, come up. I, I did feel like I should just stay out of the way, let them work, you know. But that's the funny thing is, like, you know, you didn't like, you know, you didn't win a trip to go to a movie set. I mean, you fucking wrote the thing, and I'm like, get up here, but you ag- know. But again, I, I had resigned myself to the idea that writers aren't welcome on set even though you welcomed me with open arms everyone did i thought to myself well this is their i've done my part yeah this is their show now i'm just here for the for the shits and giggles of it and to shoot a scene tomorrow yeah um so i i just i to me i was just letting the pros do their thing and i didn't want to get where the fuck were their pros <laughs> <laughs> but i just i i yeah, I was like, I was more than happy to watch Bravo putting prosthetics on Marv, you know, the gore and yeah. all that. I was just having fun watching everything get made. Um, I do remember standing behind you watching. I One of the dailies that I did watch was, I think it was uh, the one shot of Kevin when he's in front of Felissa. And I think the only reason I did was mostly because... Um, you you didn't like the way it looked. There was a lighting issue, and I think you called me over, and maybe that was just your way of getting me to come over and watch, but you were like, does this look this, that, or the other? And I, I put in my two cents, but I remember that one shot of Kevin from, I think it was kind of more like Felissa's perspective, kind of a low-looking-up type angle. Uh, we had issues with lighting there and you, you just wanted my input and we watched that back a couple of times, but that was it. I think most of the other times I was bullshitting with like Wainwright and Felissa and them went in between takes. But, uh, no, like I said, I just, you know, I, I, I thought be a fly on the wall and just watch how it's done, you know? And I mean, are you, you glad you came out and did it? And yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was great. It was a dream come true actually. Cause, uh, I've always wanted to just be on a set and watch, watch all the things, you know what I mean? And I did get to do the, you know, when, when Bravo was working with the, the blood and all the, you know, the neck ripping shit. And I was just like, this is cool. This is like the stuff I used to watch on my DVDs and everything, you know? So I was just having fun, you know, even if I didn't have to act in it or anything, I just enjoyed watching the process. 
It was exhausting. Yeah. You know, it was sleepless. It was grueling. But it was fun, and it was everything I hoped it was going to be, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that film. It is good. I will create links so people can watch it. Oh, sure. And I'll put it out on our social medias. And okay. And I'll put it out so people can actually watch the movies we're talking about. And we've also, we've got tons of pictures behind the scenes. Yeah, they'll stuff. all be up on social media. Yeah. Stuff, so, I, I mean, okay, I've... well, I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. It was nice to see it done. And it, it is an extra kick for me as a collector to have a movie on my shelf that I'm a part of. Right. You know, and hopefully there's going to be a lot more now. I hope so. I, I, hope I would so love too. to, uh, I'd love to keep working with you. Yeah. So I'd say in closing, as if young filmmakers, just don't be afraid to take chances. No. Do your research. Don't let anyone tell you no. Nope. Don't stop because the only person that can stop you is you. Take breaks. Definitely take breaks. Take Because breaks. you will burn out. Yeah, don't. If you feel too frustrated to go on, don't call it quitting like we yeah. always did. Nothing wrong with a reset. A reset. A nice hard reset. Yeah. Just... Push away, get your head together, do some other things. And then if you're a true creative type, we always say you'll come back to it. You'll be compelled yeah. to come back to it. And we will have an email that you can, you know, send questions to us. Yeah, questions. I'd love that. Yeah. So, yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. That was a fun trip down memory lane. Yeah, it was. It was good. Well, all right, man. I guess it's that time. All right. Until next time. See you guys.